Good morning. Good morning. We have some announcements. Good morning. Wednesday, we're feeding the homeless. Back to Wednesdays this week. The next women's study is this Thursday, the 15th, at 6 p.m. The next men's study is this Friday, the 16th, at 6.30 p.m. And or Saturday at 9 a.m. The next youth night is Friday, the 23rd. This Friday? Maybe. No, that'd be like the next Friday. Not this next Friday, but the Friday after. Like well, two weeks from there. now. You won't be there on the 23rd? Neither will you. Where are we going to be? At a meet. Every Friday we have a meet. Oh, that's true. We should check that schedule. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> yeah, we better. We'll, we'll double check that one. And then the fun run, October 22nd, benefiting the Alternatives Pregnancy Center. See you at the poll September 28th. That's coming up here soon. Do you? I can get you some. We can print some out right after this, okay? You want to hand out some more? Yeah. Okay. Wait, it's this Friday? No, it's on a Wednesday. It's the fourth Wednesday of the month, so it's like two and a half weeks away. Okay. Yep. And then sign up for email updates. You want your email on there? Want me to send you an email? No. Um. There you go. Okay. Then I have a video. I tried to get it to come up on the screen, but that didn't quite work. So let's see if I can didn't do it. quite work.
we remember those who are lost, let us honor their memory with our lives. Giving our own strength to help the hurting. Making sacrifices for those around us. And sharing the faith which brings eternal hope and peace. This is our promise and our prayer for 9-11. So today is September 11th, in case you didn't know, 21 years ago. 21 years ago. Some men attacked the United States. And we remember that today. But I liked what that video said. So we can honor their memory. The same as for the men and women who fight for our country, right? Freedom isn't free. And that's why a lot of people despise the United States because we are the land of the free. Freedom isn't free, but the way you can honor them is the way you live your life, right? We can help others. We can serve others. And we can share the gospel message, the news that Jesus died for them, right? That's how we remember them. That's how we honor those who've served us, who've given it all. Yeah. Yep. So, with that, we'll get started. But let's pray. Dear Father, I just thank you for this day. I thank you for this time to come together, to learn about you, to worship you. I'm thankful for the, the country that you have given us. I just ask that you would guide us in our thoughts and in our prayers you would help us to serve and love those around us, those that you've put into our lives, that we would be willing to share the good news of your son Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross for each and every one of our sins, that we would love those around us, that we would serve those around us. Lord, I ask that today you would give us ears to hear your words, hearts to receive your word, and that the word spoken today would be your words, not mine. I ask that you would guide us in our thoughts um, and in our prayers today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, we are in Romans chapter 9. We left off on verse 16 last week. It will be started in 17, but before we get there, what a... Just do a short recap of where we were at, kind of the end of last week. Um, and that is here in verses 9, or chapter 9, verses 11 through 13. And this is going to also tie into to what we go over today in verses 17 through, through 20. So, Romans 9, verse 11. But therefore... They were born before they had done anything good or bad. She received a message from God. This message shows that God chooses people according to his own purposes. He calls people not according to their good or bad works. She was told your older son will serve your younger son. In the words of the scripture, 
I love Jacob, but I rejected Esau. So this is Rebecca who's receiving this, that she'd have twins, that Isaac, her husband, had begged God on her behalf for children. She wanted children. She got pregnant, had twins, Jacob and Esau. And God tells her beforehand, God knows all, God knows what's going to happen. Beforehand, God tells her that your two sons will be at odds with each other, and the younger son will be over the older son. The older son will serve your younger son. But then, we read that early on in the Old Testament, but a lot of times it's viewed as chapters, or verses 11, 12, and 13 are all consecutive, all one. But we found out they're not. We found out that verses 13, where it says, In the words of the Scripture, I love Jacob, but I rejected Esau. That Number one, those are in the past tense. I loved and rejected. So not before they were born, after they had died. After they had lived their lives, after they had made their decisions to follow Jesus, to follow God or not. And that God said that he loved Jacob, but rejected Esau. But he didn't say that until the end of the Old Testament. So this wasn't a beforehand. He didn't love Jacob and reject Esau before they were ever born. He loved Jacob and rejected Esau after they made their decisions to follow Jesus or not, to believe in God or not. So we'll continue on with that same, that same thought, that same way of thinking um, as we look at Pharaoh this, this week and in his life. So with that in mind, we went over these verses last week too, but we'll go over them again. Deuteronomy chapter 7, starting in verse 6. So Deuteronomy 7, verse 6. For you are a holy people who belong to the Lord your God. Of all the people on the earth, the Lord your God has chosen you to be his own special treasure. The Lord did not set his heart on you, and choose you because you were more numerous than the other nations, for you were the smallest of all nations. Rather, it was simply that the Lord loves you, and he was keeping the oath that he had sworn to your ancestors. That is why the Lord rescued you with such a strong hand from your slavery and from the oppressive hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Understand, therefore, that the Lord, your God, is indeed God. He is the faithful God who keeps his covenant for a thousand generations and lavishes his unfailing love on those who love him and obey his commands. But he does not hesitate to punish and destroy those who reject him. So we went over this last week, but God chooses to love those who love him and how do we know that we love god or how do we show that we love god we've been over this many times if we obey his commands if we do what he's asked us to do and jesus summed up all of his commands into two commands love the lord your god with all your heart all your soul all your mind all your strength and love your neighbor as yourself so love god love everyone around you and love yourself and those are the two commands when we do that we prove that we really do love God. We show it in our actions. But he doesn't hesitate to punish 
and destroy those who reject him. And that may sound harsh, but what he's really doing, he's just giving them the desires of their hearts. They want nothing to do with him, and they'll eternally be separated from God. And that's what they want, and he's giving them that, that desire. That's not what his desire is, and we'll go over that. So, we'll continue, or we'll pick it up here. We left off in verse 16 last week, so we'll pick it up here in verse 17 this week. Romans chapter 9, verse 17. For the scriptures say that God told Pharaoh, I have appointed you for the very purpose of displaying my power in you and to spread my fame throughout the earth. So you see, God chooses to show mercy to some, and he chooses to harden the hearts of others, so they refuse to listen. Well then, you might say, does God blame people for not responding? Haven't they simply done what he makes them do? No, don't say that. Who are you, a mere human being to argue with God? Should the thing that was created say to the one who created it, why have you made me like this? So these are the, the four verses we're going to go over today. And the best way to do that is to go back to Exodus and look at the story of Pharaoh. So I think today we're going to read the entire book of Exodus. <laughs> or we could just do the cliff notes. You just want to do the cliff notes? <laughs> you want to read the whole book of Exodus? It's a pretty exciting story. Let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> All right, we'll just do the cliff notes. It'll take us a while. But we are going to be in the book of Exodus. And we'll kind of briefly as we can go through that. How do you spell it? E-X-O-D-U-S. So... At this point in Israelite history, this is after Joseph, you know, Joseph with the coat of many colors, his brothers sold him into slavery. He ends up in Egypt, but God's hand is upon him. And through an interpretation of a dream, he helps Pharaoh at that time. This is 430 years ago. He helps Pharaoh at that time to um, get through a, a famine in the land. Pharaoh has this dream and Joseph interprets it and says, you're going to have seven fat years, but then you're going to have seven lean years. So you need to save up so that you can make it through the lean years. And they do. And Pharaoh puts Joseph in charge of, of all of that. So Joseph goes from being a slave and a prisoner to being in charge of the, the entire land of Egypt and helps the people of Egypt survive this time. So, but by now, by the time we get to to Moses, this is 430 years later, the Egyptians have forgotten all this, have forgotten the Israelites and where they came from. But now the Israelites have multiplied. They're very numerous. And the Egyptians are becoming concerned that they'll revolt against them. So they enslave them, force them into hard labor, are very harsh to them, beat them, oppress them, kill their babies to try and um, diminish their numbers. And that was when Moses was born. They were killing all the firstborn babies, um, or all I'm sorry, all the male babies at that time. And Moses' mother um, hid him as long as she could till she couldn't hide him anymore and then put him in a basket and, and put him in the Nile um, 
And Pharaoh's daughter found him and, and took favor upon him and in a way that only God can. Um, Pharaoh, or Moses' sister was there when Pharaoh's daughter found Moses and she said, would you like me to go find you an Egyptian to help nurse him? And she said, yes, that'd be great. So she went back and got Moses' mother and Moses' mother got to nurse him and take care of him while he was young. But Moses grew up in Pharaoh's kingdom and, uh, and later on became older and, and started to realize that, that he was an Israelite. So he went out among his people and when he went out among his people, he saw an Egyptian beating an Israelite, and he killed that Egyptian, and he buried him. And then the next day, he went back out, thinking no one knew what he did, and he saw two Israelites fighting. And the Israelites said, oh, are you going to kill us like you killed that Egyptian yesterday? And he became scared, thinking everybody knows. So he ran away um, and hid, ran out to the wilderness, and God called him out there with the burning bush the bush that was burning but wasn't burning up. And God spoke to him and, and told him that you need to, to free free my, my people. Tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And that Moses doubted God and said, I'm not a very good speaker, I can't speak. So God sent Aaron to speak for him. Um, and God gave him miraculous signs to do in front of Pharaoh. And, uh, and that's where we're gonna pick it up here. And we're just gonna go through a few verses and it'll be fairly quick. Um, but a few verses of each chapter, but it will kind of encompass the, the story. And this idea of hardening, the whole reason we're here is because is we read that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And we want to see when did that happen and why did that happen. And I think that this explains that. So we'll start in Exodus 3, verse 18. The elders of Israel will accept your message. Then you and the elders must go to the king of Egypt and tell him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met us. So please let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand forces him. So I will raise my hand and strike the Egyptians, performing all kinds of miracles among them. Then at last he will let you go, and I will cause the Egyptians to look favorably upon you. They will give you gifts when you go, so you will not leave empty-handed. So God is predicting what's going to happen here. He's telling, telling the Israelites what's going to happen. The Moses and Aaron and the Israelite leaders are to go to Pharaoh, um, and that Pharaoh's not going to let them go without a mighty hand, without God forcing this. That Pharaoh's going to have a hard heart towards, towards God um, and towards the Israelite people. But God says that ultimately he will let them go. And not only will he not just let them go, but he will give them, the, the Egyptians will give the Israelites many gifts before they go. So we'll pick it up again here in chapter 4, verse 21. And the Lord told Moses, when you arrive back in Egypt, go to Pharaoh and perform all the miracles I have empowered you to do, but I will harden his heart so he will refuse to let the people go. Then you will tell him, this is what the Lord says. Israel is my firstborn son. I commanded you, let my son go so he can worship me. But since you have refused, I will now kill your firstborn son. So this is all God is 
This is all prophecy. God is telling Moses what will happen before it will happen. So God says, I will harden Pharaoh's heart so he will refuse to let your people go. And that's what we're going to look at. We're going to look at the different signs that God, that Moses performed, that God performed through Moses, when those happened. And then we're going to look at when did God harden Pharaoh's heart. So we'll continue on here in chapter 5, verses 1 through 3. So after this presentation to Israel's leaders, Moses and Aaron went and spoke to Pharaoh. They told him, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Let my people go so they may hold a festival in my honor in the wilderness. Is that so, retorted Pharaoh, and who is the Lord? Why should I listen to him and let Israel go? I don't know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. But Aaron and Moses persisted. The God of the Hebrews has met with us, they declared, so let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness so we can offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. If we don't, he will kill us with a plague or with the sword. So Mo- Moses and Aaron go, but I don't read that the Israelite leaders went with him. So already the Israelites are not obeying what God's asked them to do. And Pharaoh says, well, who is this God? I don't know him. Why should I listen to him? And in the Egyptian culture at this time, pharaohs thought of themselves and the people thought of pharaohs as gods. So pharaohs thinking, I'm God. I'm my own God. I don't need your God. And his heart is already hard against God and is against his people. So we'll skip down to chapter 5, verse 22, through chapter 6, verse 1. Three verses there. So then Moses went, well, before we get to there, so after they went to Pharaoh, what we just read, Pharaoh decides, well, I'm going to oppress them even further. I'm going to make them, they're they're making bricks for Pharaoh so that they can build all these cities. He says, I'm going to make them go and harvest their own straw now, but I'm still going to keep the quota the same. They still have to make as many bricks and I'm going to make it even harsher on them and beat them even more. So he's come down even harsher on them just for the simple fact that Moses and Aaron asked him to let the people go worship God for three days um, in the wilderness. And because they asked that, Pharaoh became even more angry at them and and is oppressing them even more and beating them more and demanding more of them. And so we'll pick it up here at the end of chapter 5 when Moses kind of comes back to God and and starts to protest to him. So Exodus chapter 5, verse 22. Then Moses went back to the Lord and protested, Why have you brought all this trouble on your own people, Lord? Why did you send me? Ever since I came to Pharaoh as your spokesman, he has been even more brutal to your people, and you have done nothing to rescue them. Then the Lord told Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. When he fills the force of my strong hand, He will let the people go. In fact, he will force them to leave his land. So Moses goes and protests to God, but God says, okay, I'm going to show you what I'm going to do. And when I'm done, he's going to force you to leave his land. And earlier, God foretold that he would bless them, that the Egyptians would send them with gifts, gold, silver, 
clothing. So we are going to skip down to Exodus chapter 7, verse 10. And this is the, the first of the plagues that, that God sends. Oh, I'm sorry. This is not one of the first of the plagues. This is one of the, the first sign that God sends to, to Pharaoh. So Exodus 7, verse 10. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did what the Lord had commanded them. Aaron threw down his staff before Pharaoh and his officials, and it became a serpent. Then Pharaoh called on his own wise men and sorcerers, and these Egyptian magicians did the same thing with their magic. They threw down their staffs, which also became serpents. But then Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Pharaoh's heart, however, remained hard. He still refused to listen, just as the Lord had predicted. So Moses and Aaron go. Again, we don't read that the Israelite leaders go like they were supposed to. Moses and Aaron go, and they perform this this miracle, this miraculous sign, throw down his wooden staff and it turns into a serpent. But then Pharaoh calls his sorcerers and they do the same thing. And you ask, well, how can they do that? Well, in the spiritual realm, the evil has power too. And that they can do signs, not the same as God, not the same powerful signs, but they can imitate God. And that's what the enemy wants to do. The enemy often tries to imitate God, but can never do what God really does. And we see here that, that Aaron's staff swallows up the other staffs. So Aaron's serpent swallows up the other serpents, which I think is pretty cool. And if you're a pharaoh, you would think, maybe I should pay attention to this. This seems like they are more powerful than we are. But he doesn't. He chooses to remain. He chooses to have a hard heart towards God. He's still thinking that I am God. You know, I don't need your God, Moses. So... We'll skip down to Exodus chapter 7, verse 20, 20 through 22. So Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord commanded them. As Pharaoh and all his officials watched, Aaron raised his staff and struck the water of the Nile. Suddenly, the whole river turned to blood. The fish in the river died, and the water became so foul that the Egyptians couldn't drink it. There was blood everywhere throughout the land of Egypt. But again, the magicians of Egypt used their magic, and they too turned water into blood. So Pharaoh's heart remained hard. He refused to listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord had predicted. So Aaron strikes his staff to the river, and all the the water in, in Egypt turns to blood. Not just red like blood, but turns to blood. And then the Egyptian sorcerers and magicians are able to do the same thing on a much smaller level. Again, can't perform the miracles that God can perform, but can imitate. Um, But not the same way that God does. Not with the same magnitude that God does. And Pharaoh's heart remains hard. He's still thinking, I am God. I don't need your God, Moses. So we will skip down now to chapter 8, verses 6 through 8. So Aaron raised his hand over the waters of Egypt, and frogs came up and covered the whole land. 
But the magicians were able to do the same thing with their magic. They too caused frogs to come up on the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and begged, Plead with the Lord to take away the frog, to take the frogs away from me and my people. I will let your people go so they can offer sacrifices to the Lord. So Pharaoh is now appears that his heart is, isn't as hard. I'm gonna okay, Moses, I'll let you go. Enough. I've seen the power of your God. I'm gonna do what you've asked. So we'll skip down a couple verses and see what happens. After Moses prays to God and, and God um, answers Moses' prayer. So chapter 8, verses 13 through 15. And the Lord did just as Moses had predicted. The frogs and the houses and courtyards and in the fields all died. The Egyptians piled them into great heaps and a terrible stench filled the land. But when Pharaoh saw that relief had come, he became stubborn. He refused to listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord had predicted. So he doesn't let the people go like he said. These terrible frogs have come and plagued his land. And he calls Moses and Aaron, okay, if you take the frogs away, I'll let the people go. So Moses prays to God. God removes the frogs. They all die. But now that there's relief has come, Pharaoh says, no, I'm not going to let your people go. I'm still God. I don't need your God, Moses. So we will skip down. Well, we'll skip one verse. We'll go to chapter 8, verses 17 through 19. So Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord had commanded them. When Aaron raised his hand and struck the ground with his staff, gnats infested the entire land, covering the Egyptians and their animals. All the dust in the land of Egypt turned into gnats. Pharaoh's magicians tried to do the same thing with their secret art, but this time they failed, and the gnats covered everyone, people and animals alike. This is the finger of God, the magicians exclaimed to Pharaoh, but Pharaoh's heart remained hard. He wouldn't listen to them, just as the Lord had predicted. So now this time, the magicians, the sorcerers, they can't repeat what God's doing. They can't imitate what God's doing. And now they're scared. They say, oh no, this is just the finger of God, not the hand of God, right? Not his whole arm. This is just his finger, this terrible thing that's happened to us. And so now they're scared and they're realizing that this is the God, that Moses is God, Israel. But Pharaoh's heart, again, remains hard. So Pharaoh is choosing to remain hard, um, have a hard heart against God. Again, Pharaoh is thinking, I am God. I don't need your God, Moses. And Pharaoh is the one doing this this whole time, right? We keep reading. Pharaoh's heart remained hard. Pharaoh's hardened his heart. So we will... Actually, we're going to jump... We're going to jump down just one more verse to... Exodus 8, verse 20. We're going to go through verse 20 through 32. And it's not up on the screen, so you'll just have to follow along with me. So this is the plague of the flies. 
but there's some interesting things that happen here, so we're not gonna we're gonna read through it all so we can catch all the interesting things that happen. So the plague of the flies. Exodus chapter eight, verse twenty. Then the Lord told Moses, Get up early in the morning and stand in Pharaoh's way as he goes down to the river. Say to him, This is what the Lord says. Let my people go so they can worship me. If you refuse, then I will send swarms of flies on you, your officials, your people, and all the houses of Egypt. And all the houses. The Egyptian homes will be filled with flies, and the ground will be covered with them. But this time I will spare the region of Goshen, where my people live. No flies will be found there. Then you will know that I am the Lord, and that I am present even in the heart of your land. I will make a clear distinction between my people and your people. This miraculous sign will happen tomorrow. So all of the plagues up until now have affected the Israelites also. And I would say to you that these plagues are also considered God's judgment, and that God was bringing judgment on his own people for their own hard hearts. Because we read that it was supposed to be Moses and Aaron and the Egyptian or and the Israelite leaders that go to the Egyptians, that go to Pharaoh and, and say, Let my people go, but we don't read that. We read that only Moses and Aaron went. The leaders didn't go. So I would say to you that the Israelite nation has had hard hearts towards God, and he brings these plagues on them as well. Until now. So I would say that now the Israelite nation has repented. And turn their hearts back to God. And now God's no longer bringing judgment on them. He's making a distinction between them and the, Israel, and the Egyptians. So, so continuing on, chapter 8, verse 24. And the Lord did just as he said. A thick swarm of flies filled Pharaoh's palace and the houses of his officials. The whole land of Egypt was thrown into chaos by the flies. Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron, All right, go ahead, offer your sacrifices to your God, he said, but do it here in this land. But Moses replied, That wouldn't be right. The Egyptians detest the sacrifices that we offer to the Lord our God. Look, if we offer our sacrifices here, where the Egyptians can see us, they will stone us. We must take a three-day trip into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God just as he has commanded us. All right, go ahead, Pharaoh replied. I will let you go into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord your God. But don't go too far away. Now hurry and pray for me. Moses answered, as soon as I leave you, I will pray to the Lord. And tomorrow the swarm of flies will disappear from you and your officials and your people. But I am warning you, Pharaoh, don't lie to us again and refuse to let the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. So Moses left Pharaoh's palace and pleaded with the Lord to remove all the flies. And the Lord did as Moses asked and caused the swarm of flies to disappear from Pharaoh and his officials and his people. Not a single fly remained. But Pharaoh again became stubborn and refused to let the people go. So again... Pharaoh says, I'll let him go. Okay, I believe that your God is, is a real God. I'll let them go so they can sacrifice to him. But then when the, the plague is ended, he says, nope, 
I'm not going to let them go. I've changed my mind. I've recanted my statement. So now we will pick it up. We'll jump down to Exodus chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. And the Lord did just as he said. The next morning, all the livestock of the Egyptians died, but the Israelites did not lose a single animal. Pharaoh sent his officials to investigate, and they discovered that the Israelites had not lost a single animal. But even so, Pharaoh's heart remained stubborn, and he still refused to let the people go. So the next plague was the, the plague against the livestock. And the Egyptian livestock is killed, but the Israelite livestock is not. And even though it still didn't change Pharaoh's heart, he still had a hard heart towards God and towards God's people. So we'll jump down to Exodus 9, verse 10. So they took soot from a brick kiln and went and stood before Pharaoh. As Pharaoh watched, Moses threw the soot into the air and boils broke out on the people and animals alike. Even the magicians were unable to stand before Moses because the boils had broken out on them and all the Egyptians. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. And just as the Lord had predicted to Moses, Pharaoh refused to listen. So now this is the first time we hear that the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. So up until this point, Pharaoh's heart has been hard on his own account. He's chosen to reject God. But now we're at the point here where the boils have broke out after we've been through many plagues. Now God has hardened Pharaoh's heart. So we'll continue on chapter 9, verse 13 through 16. And this is how we get to this text. This is where, where Paul in Romans is writing why God did this. Um, and so this is the explanation here in Exodus 9, verses 13 through 16. Then the Lord said to Moses, Get up early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh. Tell him, This is what... The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, says, Let my people go so they can worship me. If you don't, I will send more plagues on you and your officials and your people. Then you will know that there is no one like me in all the earth. By now I could have lifted my hand and struck you and your people with a plague and wiped you off the face of the earth. But I have spared you for a purpose, to show you my power and to spread my fame throughout the earth. So I think that's important here in, in verse 16. But I have spared you for a purpose. And that purpose is, he says, to show you, to show the Egyptians my power and to spread my fame throughout the earth, right? And his fame is still spread throughout the earth. People are still talking about the plagues that God sent on the Egyptians. Moses asking Pharaoh, let my people go, let my people go, right? We're still talking about that today. And the reason for that is that we get to see God's power. But also that God got to show his power to Egypt. And is it to be, to show that he's a powerful, mighty, strong, angry God? No. 
It's to show that he is a powerful God, but he is merciful and long-suffering. Like God said, he could have wiped them out initially. He could have wiped them out from the beginning when this all started with a plague that killed them all. And then the people, his Israelites would have taken all their, the Egyptian wealth and walked out of the land, right? But he chose not to. And you're going to see why he chose not to. And it's because he loves the Egyptians, which at times is hard to understand. Well, it seems like God is being hard. He hardened Pharaoh's heart. No, no, no. He gave Pharaoh what Pharaoh wanted. Pharaoh wanted to live separate from God. And God still does this today. For someone who wants to live a life separate from God, God will give them all of eternity separated from him. God will, will, will not allow them to come into heaven, but will send them to hell. And that's not what God's desire is. That's not what he wants. But that's what he'll do. That's what he'll give them. He'll give them the desires of their own heart. And here, God has only given Pharaoh the desires of his own heart. Now, it may seem harsh that God hardened Pharaoh's heart after all these plagues and Pharaoh had already hardened his own heart. But I would say to you, God knew that Pharaoh would never turn to him. So God just gave Pharaoh what he had wanted, what he asked for. But it should give, it should give you a wake-up call too, that at some point you can reject God and reject God and God will give you what you want and harden your heart to where you'll never receive him. But the same way, this life is short and we get to see that today on a day like 9-11. You never know when your last day will be. So if you're waiting to the end of your life to receive God, to accept God, to accept Jesus into your life, you're, you're playing a very dangerous game. You don't know when your last day is and you don't know when he could return. He could return at any moment and those who believe in him will be caught up in the air with him. So you don't wanna to wait to the last. You don't want to play this game with God where I got time, it's okay, it's not that big a deal. No, it is a big deal and you don't know that you have time. So, while it may sound harsh that God hardened Pharaoh's heart, God just gave Pharaoh what he was asking for. Pharaoh wanted a life separate from God, and God gave that to him for all of eternity. Let's continue on, though, reading Exodus 9, verse 17 through 21. But you still lord over my people and refuse to let them go. So tomorrow at this time I will send a hailstorm more devastating than any in all history of Egypt. Quick, order your livestock and servants to come in from the fields to find shelter. Any person or animal left outside will die when the hail falls. Some of Pharaoh's officials were afraid because of what the Lord had said. They quickly brought their servants and livestock in from the fields. But those who paid no attention to the word of God, the Lord, left theirs out in the open. And what happened to those people, those who were left out in the open? They died, right? So some of the Egyptian officials are starting to believe God, starting to believe this is a real God, that he is the God he claims to be. I'm going to listen to what he said. He's given us a warning that this hailstorm's coming. Bring your people and your animals inside so they can live. And some of the Egyptians are believing and, and start to turn to God. And I would say to you, that's why God didn't wipe them off. Like, like he said he could have. He could have wiped them out with the plague, but he chose not to. So, so then let's jump down to Exodus chapter 10, verses 1 and 2. 
Then the Lord said to Moses, Return to Pharaoh and make your demands again. I have made him and his officials stubborn, so I can display my miraculous signs among them. I've also done it so you can tell your children and your grandchildren about how I made a mockery of the Egyptians and about the signs I displayed among them. And so you will know that I am the Lord. So why did he do this? Why did he go through all the plagues and all the power to show the Egyptians? But the Egyptian leaders' hearts were hard towards God, but not all the people in Egypt's hearts were hard towards God. And we'll get to read that here in a minute. And he also did this for the Israelites, for the people who believed in God, that they could tell their children and their grandchildren about the great and mighty things God has done, right? And we can do that today. We can tell our children and our grandchildren about the great and mighty things that God has done in our lives, in our lifetime that we've seen, and how he's helped us, how he's rescued us, how he's saved us, and that we can tell our children and our grandchildren about that. So we won't go through all the, the rest of the plagues, but I'll summarize them. The next plague was this plague of locusts that came. Um, and Pharaoh at that point tries to bargain and says, okay, you can go, but only the men. You know, the, the women and children have to stay here. The livestock have to stay here. Only the men can go. He tries to, to bargain with God. You know, let's make a deal, God. No, that's not how God works. It's God's way or no way, right? God doesn't bargain with us. God doesn't, um, God doesn't compromise in any way. God's ways are always right and always just. And we're to understand that and to follow that. We're not to compromise either. But again, his heart remained hard. Um, then the next plague was the plague of darkness, where the darkness was so thick and heavy you could feel it. Couldn't see anything at all. You can see your hand in front of your face in the middle of the day. And again, Pharaoh tries to bargain and says, okay, you can go out and your people can go, but your herds have to stay. No, again, God doesn't bargain. God doesn't compromise. We're not to either. And again, Pharaoh's heart remained hard. And then God brings the death of the firstborn males in all the land of Egypt. But he passes over anyone who put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost. He passed over those homes. But those who didn't have that, he killed the firstborn, both of the males, um, the humans, and of the, of the livestock that were left. So, we will pick up after God has sent that plague, after all the firstborn have died. Um, we'll pick that up here in Exodus chapter 12, verse 31 and 30. Well, we'll go Exodus chapter 12, 31 through 36, I believe. Oh, go. Exodus chapter 12, verses 31 through 38. So now this, this plague of the firstborn has come. Moses' first, or uh, not Moses, Pharaoh's firstborn son has been killed. Um, there's a great mourning throughout the land, a wailing throughout the land in the middle of the night, like it's never been heard before and never been heard since, the Bible says. So we'll pick it up here in verse 31. Pharaoh sent for Moses and Aaron during the night. Get out, he ordered. Leave my people. Take the rest of the Israelites with you. 
Go and worship the Lord as you have requested. Take your flocks and herds as you said and be gone. Go, but bless me as you leave. All the Egyptians urged the people of Israel to get out of the land as quick as possible, for they thought, we will all die. The Israelites took their bread, took their bread dough before yeast was added. They wrapped their kneading boards in their cloaks and carried them on their shoulders. And the people of Israel did as Moses had instructed. They asked the Egyptians for clothing and articles of silver and gold. The Lord caused the Egyptians to look favorably upon the Israelites, and they gave the Israelites whatever they asked for. So they stripped the Egyptians of their wealth. That night, the people of Israel left Ramses and started for Sukkoth. There were about 600,000 men, plus all the women and children. A ramble of of non-Israelites went with them along with the great flocks and herds of livestock. So that is the important verse, verse 38, that there was a small remnant of non-Israelites, a small remnant of Egyptians who went with them. And why did they go with them? Because they believed in the Israelite God. They received God into their hearts. So why did God allow all these plagues and and was so long-suffering? Why didn't he wipe out the Egyptians like he said he could have with a plague and, and be done with them? For these few people, these few people that he knew would come to believe him. That's why God is long-suffering, why he's patient. So you can look at it and view this as a harsh God who hardened Pharaoh's heart. But really, God was giving Pharaoh what his heart desired. God gives all of us what our hearts desire. If our hearts desire to receive Jesus, to have eternal life with him, God grants that to us. If our hearts desire to reject God and have nothing to do with him, He gives that to us too. And he separates us from himself by sending those who receive, who reject his son to hell for all of eternity, eternal separation from God. So I think that the, the point that Paul is trying to make is that God is a powerful and mighty God. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. He knows the beginning from the end. He knows who will receive him and who won't. But still, he gives them every opportunity to turn and repent. And he gave Pharaoh and his leadership every opportunity to turn and repent and receive him. But they chose not to. They chose to remain hard, have hard hearts towards God. They chose to not believe that he is the God of all creation, the God of the world, that he is the Savior that he rescues us. They chose not to believe that, and God gave them what they desired. But God knew that there was a small remnant of people who would receive him in in Egypt, and that's why he did what he did, so that the Egyptians, that small remnant, could be saved, because he loved them that much. He loved all of Egypt, and he knew that they would receive him, that small amount of people, and also that the Israelites, his believers, that us, that we, could be encouraged by his mighty power. But I do want to go through a couple other areas of the Bible that confirm what God's heart is towards the world. And the first one is in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. So 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. 
The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. So why is God long-suffering? Why didn't he wipe out Egypt with a plague from the beginning? Why did he go through all these other plagues and, and all these signs, miraculous signs? Why? Because he wanted all of them. Every Egyptian, he wanted to repent and turn to him. That's what his desire is. That's what his desire is still today. Why is he being long-suffering and not coming? Why isn't Jesus coming back again? Because when he comes back again, he comes back in judgment. Why isn't he doing that now? Because God is long-suffering and he wants to give everyone a chance to repent. Right? He loves the whole world. He sent his son to die for this whole world and everyone in it. Everyone who's ever lived and everyone who will live. The other place we'll take a look at this is in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 through 4. So this is good and pleases God, our Savior, who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. Right? So God's desire is that everyone would be saved. Another way that you can look at saved, you know, God saved the Israelites from the Egyptian slavery, um, yes, but I think a better way, a better word for that is he rescued them. God rescued the Israelites from the Egyptian slavery. And here, God wants every, he wants to rescue everyone. And God saved us, yes, but I think another way to think of that is God rescued us, right? We were in a place where we were dead to our sins, dead to our trespasses, and that God rescued us. He paid the price that only he could pay, that we couldn't pay. He rescued us from eternal separation from him, that he sent his son to die in our place, that if we receive Jesus into our hearts, we can have eternal life, that we can have a life with him forever, never be separated from him again. So God's desire is that all would come to be saved, that he would rescue all. His hand is reaching out to all, and it's everyone's individual choice whether or not to receive him. Even Pharaoh's. God gave Pharaoh that choice too. You see that also with Judas, and we went over this last week. But even though God knew that Judas would betray Jesus, Jesus knew that he would betray him, Jesus still chose him to be one of his 12 disciples. Jesus gave Judas every opportunity to choose to receive Jesus as the Savior. But Judas's heart was hard. And what happened at the end? God gave him the desires of his heart. He would be eternally separated from God. He was with God. He knew God. He walked with him, but he never gave his heart to him. He didn't want to receive him in that way. But God gave him every opportunity to. Even at the Last Supper, where Jesus washes Judas's feet, knowing that just right up ahead, Judas will betray him and he will suffer greatly. He knows that's going to happen, but he still gives him that opportunity. He still loves him that much that he would wash his feet, that he would serve his enemy. That's the God that we serve. Not an angry, not a harsh, not a mean God, but a very loving, compassionate, patient, long-suffering God whose desire is that everyone would receive him. Everyone would turn from their sins, receive Jesus, be rescued, be saved. So we'll finish up today. We'll go back to Romans 9, 19, and 20. And look at these last couple of verses. Um, again, because I just want to 
One more point we want to go over. So Romans 9, 19 and 20. Well then, you might say, why does God blame people for not responding? Haven't they simply done what he makes them do? No, don't say that. Who are you, a mere human being, to argue with God? Should the thing that was created say to the one who created it, why have you made me like this? So who are we, mere human beings, to argue with God? God's ways are higher than our ways. God's desire is that everyone would be saved. And God has set up this world and all the things that will take place in this world to give everyone every opportunity, the best chance to know him, to receive him. That's why God does what he does. But this very last sentence here. Should the thing that was created say to the one who created it, why have you made me like this? And it seems like right now the enemy is using that against people. Why have you made me like this? You should have made me a boy or you should have made me a girl, right? And that's the enemy that does that. The enemy is putting that into people's minds. Why have you made me like this? God, you made a mistake. But I can assure you, God doesn't make any mistakes. He created each one of us just the way he did for a plan and a purpose. He has a purpose for our life, for all that, that we do, all that we go through, not in vain, but in, a, in purpose and in a plan to bring him glory, to bring others to come to know his son, Jesus. So the enemy continues to attack people and tell people that God made a mistake. He made them wrong. And I would encourage all of us to be careful with the words we speak because we can speak those same words to people. It's not just the enemy. It's not just a demonic realm that's telling that to people in their thought lives. It's us. It's people in this world that are telling that to other people. Oh, you're such a girl. People will say that to, to boys. You're such a girl. Or people say to girls, oh, you're such a tomboy. You like all these things. You must really be a more of a boy. So we need to be careful on what we say. The same thing happens with what we say about um, oh, you're, that's so gay. You're so gay. No, don't speak evil into people's lives. Don't lie to them. Don't deceive them. Don't take part in that. Be careful what our words are. Our words can either speak life and truth into people's lives, or they can speak the lies from the enemy. And we need to be very careful on how we treat others and the words that we speak into others' lives. God didn't make any mistakes. He made each one of us male and female because he has a plan and a purpose for each of our lives. And that God doesn't tempt us to sin, but the enemy tempts us and our own selfish desires tempt us into sin. And rejecting God's creation is sin. And that we don't want to, to encourage anyone to go down that road. And we don't want to belittle anyone into thinking that they're less than what they are. And what they are when they receive Jesus into their life is they're children of God. They're God's own precious children. And we need to view everyone that way. Right? Because God chose all of them. That his will is that all should repent and turn to him and be saved. And with that, that's it. Do you have any questions? Do you? Okay. take a minute? Just a minute. Okay, well we have just a minute, so you're good.
What about in the back row? Do you have any questions? did that so outside of our world our physical world that we live in there's a spiritual world right that's the unseen world and that unseen world is filled with angels and demons and the demons are fallen angels right Got a bit over that do you understand that part that when satan fell a third of the angels went with him chose to to follow him and those that's the demons so you have this spiritual battle that goes on in this spiritual realm. And uh, like another place that we're told is we're told, you know, not to, not to try and seek after the dead. And there's mediums who can call in the dead. And we read about this um, with Saul and Samuel. Saul calls to Samuel after Samuel had died. And in this medium, this person is able to connect with them in that spiritual realm. So God tells us not to do that. Well, he wouldn't tell us not to do it if you couldn't. So obviously it can be done. There's a spiritual power there, um, a spiritual realm. And I'd say that that's what those sorcerers and um, magicians are tapping into, that spiritual demonic realm. And while there's some power there, it's not anything compared to God's glorious power, right? So they may be able to imitate on a very small scale the great and grand things that God was doing, right? So you see that there is a demonic power. It is real. And it's not a place you ever want to be a part of. And there's things like uh, Ouija boards and, and things like that. You know, there's lots of people that talk about witches and stuff and sorcerers now. And that, that thing is, those things are real. And you need to respect them as being real, but also stay away from them. That's what God tells us. Stay away from that. And the reason is because it's dangerous and there is a power there. And the demonic oppression, people who are possessed by demons, I would say oftentimes have gone into that spiritual realm thinking that that's a place where they can be and that's not. And they're inviting them in. So, so there is a real demonic power, but it's not anything compared to God's glorious power. So while God is turning the Nile and all the waters into blood, they're turning like a, a, one, a little jar of water into blood. Right? So they can imitate God, but they can't do the same glorious things as God. Does that make sense? Okay. Okay. The second question is, why would God harden his heart if his heart was already hardened? It would just made it worse, wouldn't it? That is a very good question. And I would say to you that there at the end, Pharaoh's trying to, to waver with God, trying to bargain with God, and playing with God's people. And I would say that God knows that that Pharaoh will just continue to do that and that it'll never be where he receives God, but he'll just try and, he'll try and bargain to, 
to um, compromise, to get God to compromise. And God never compromises. God is always true. And we're never to compromise either. And oftentimes Christians compromise and oftentimes the Christian church compromises. And it's always been bad every time it happens. So God hardened Pharaoh's heart. He gave him the, what Pharaoh already wanted. Pharaoh didn't want God in his life. And God said, okay. I'd say most of the time that doesn't come till the end of a person's life when they breathe their last breath and that's their deciding factor. Well, God did it while Pharaoh was still alive. And the reason that God did that was so he could display his, his glorious power. And what did he go on to do? He freed the Israelites, just like he said he would, and that they, they left a very wealthy nation. They stripped Egypt of all of its wealth, just like he said would happen. But then as they leave, Pharaoh changes his mind again, right? And comes after him. He's going to kill them at this point. And what does God do? God allows them to cross the Red Sea, right? Displays his, ma his majestic, glorious power. So the reason that he hardened Pharaoh's heart was so that he could display his power. He knew that Pharaoh would never receive him, and, but he knew that those few people in, in Egypt would, and they got to see his power and believe in the one true God. And you will get to meet them in heaven someday. This one's a really good question. They're all good questions. So, um, in the Bible, all throughout the Bible, it has Lord in it. And every time it has Lord, it's spelled capital L, capital O, capital R, capital B. Yep. Why is it spelled like that? So different translations do it differently. you know. But most of the time, like when it comes to the male pronoun, like he, if it's referring to Jesus or to God, they'll capitalize the H. They're capitalizing it to give God reverence, to show that, that he deserves that honor, that special higher place. And where in your Bible, they're capitalizing all of the word Lord to show that he is that, that holy and that glorious, that he's that much above the rest. Okay, and then here, let me get to another page that I saw that I noticed. Oh, does it just have his name capitalized, Jesus? Jesus, yeah. Just yeah, J. Yeah, just the J. It's still, it's, that's God. Yeah. It's still God, and it's still giving him that reverence by capitalizing his name. And different translations do it differently. That's one thing that I don't like about the New Living Translation, is when it comes to a lot of the pronouns referring to God, like he or him, and it's referring to Jesus or to God, the New Living Translation oftentimes doesn't capitalize the H and he or him referring to Jesus, which I don't like because I think it should. And I like what yours does. It goes on to capitalize all of it to make a very clear distinction. We're talking about God here and that he is holy, that we should give him that reverence of being holy, that special honor. Okay. And then my last question is, how are witches real? How are witches real? So there's that demonic realm, right? That spiritual realm. There's our, our physical realm here, the life we're living now. And outside of the world that we can't see is that spiritual world where the angels and the demons are, right? And the witches are real because they choose to allow those demons into their life, okay? 
And those demons have power, more power than what we have, but a whole lot less power than what God has. It's not even comparable. So those witches are real because they are letting those demons into their life and they're trying to tap into that power. How do you know that? How do I know that? That the angels and the demons are real? No, that the witches, all the bad people are real. Mostly, I think the, the best way to look at that is when we go back and look at, at Saul and Samuel. And you have that medium or that witch who is contacting Samuel after Samuel's died. So Samuel's died. He's in the place of the dead. And at this place this is before Jesus. So this is the center of the earth. There's the righteous dead and the unrighteous dead. And it's separated by that great chasm. We've studied through that, right? So that's where they're at. And here Saul is on the earth and he goes to this medium or this witch. And she's able to contact Samuel who is dead. And Samuel speaks to Saul. So that's how you know that. That's one of the, uh, there's probably some other places that we could go to to study that. But that's the one that stands out the most. You check and see if you have any more. What about any prayer requests? Do you have any prayer requests? Yes. Do you have one more question? But it says, okay, God is more powerful than Lord, right? Wait, which one's more powerful? Because God isn't all capitalized. Oh. We could look through that in your Bible. But it's all, it's, huh? Yeah. Yeah, so, so Lord doesn't always refer to God. There's, David says, the Lord said to my Lord. Um, yeah, so it doesn't always refer to God. But you're asking, why isn't God all G-O-D capitalized when it talks about it? That's a good question. And it's different, different translations viewed it differently. So that's a human reasoning. But I agree with... Well, I think what you're saying is that it all should be capitalized. Like Jesus' whole name should be capitalized. When it says he, H and E should both be capitalized. When it's saying him and it's referring to Jesus, all three letters should be capitalized. When it says Lord, all capitalized God, it should be all capitalized. To show that reverence, yes, I would agree with you. That's just not the way that the translators chose to do it. Do you have any prayer requests? ask it next week. Yeah. What do we need to be praying for? For Kylie. For Kylie? Safe travels for everyone that's traveling this week? That's a great idea. Great idea. Okay. Well, let's pray. Dear Father, I just thank you for this day. I thank you for this time to come and, and study through your word, to learn more about you, about your love, your mercy, your grace, how much you care for us, how um, just long-suffering you are for each one of us, that you're not quick to judge or, or quick to um, treat us harshly, that you're patient 
your kind, your long-suffering, all in an effort that we would receive you, that your desire is that all of us should receive you. And I'm thankful for that. Lord, I ask you to watch over us this week, that you would guide us, that you would help us to be a light and a witness to you. Open up those opportunities to share our faith about you, to share about the works you've done in our lives with those around us. Lord, I ask you would watch over everyone who's traveling this week, this weekend, that you would give them safe travels, that you would protect them, that you would protect Kylie as she rides this, this day, today, you would protect Cherry and all the other riders. Um, I ask you would watch over Matt and his knees, um, that you would meet each person right where they're at. You know what each one of us is going through, what our desires are, what our heart is. You would meet us where we're at. You would guide us, comfort us, come alongside of us. Thank you, Jesus, for your love, for your sacrifice on the cross, for each and every one of our sins. No sin too great. It's in Jesus' mighty name I pray all these things. Amen. 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 Amen.